go with me to 1 Samuel, the 7th chapter and the 16th verse. Pastor Ronnie came home with some, some cool material from Daystar. One of the uh, books that was given to Mark Sajoni was a book that talks about the seven hills that Pastor Mark shared last Sunday morning, how to remember that word. And then Pastor Ronnie came home with an incredible book written by uh, Mark Batterson, who wrote the book In the Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. How many remember uh, that, that, that book, that message? Uh, she come home with another book by, by Pastor Mark, and I will be sharing uh, just a few brief things from that. I'm saving that for her. It's a great word, and uh, we might share it on, on three or four Wednesday nights in a row. But I want to make a statement, and the, the area that I'm going in this morning is simply the power of a circle. The power of a circle. Several years ago, when I used to travel with four or five Timothys from this house, on the way, I remember one particular uh, trip to Knoxville, all, the, all four guys came up with a statement or a cliche or a quote, and they all four had a different quote, and it was my job that somewhere in the sermon I used all four of those quotes, and if I managed to factor it in, then they had to take me to Taco Bell and feed me. But if I didn't share every one of those quotes, then I had to buy them Taco Bell. And you'd be surprised some of the crazy things they came up with. And not one time did I ever fail. Every time we went, they had to buy me Taco Bell because somehow I managed to work it in. I know some of you are thinking this morning, how in the world is he possibly going to share anything concerning the power of a circle? Well, I think about the old country western song by uh, Johnny Cash, Will the Circle Being Broken By and By, Lord, By and By. And then you remember the, the, the most famous part of that song? Everybody help me. Daddy sing bass. There you have it. Hey, we're on the same page. There's something about a circle of family. In Lion King, I told Pastor Ron I wanted to sing Elton John's song this morning, but she talked me out of it. I was going to sing the circle of love. You all know that song. All of us that are married uh, have a ring on our finger that at, a, at an altar. We gave that ring to our husband and our wife. And of course, the inside of the ring represents us with God's presence. The outside of the ring represents the presence of the world. And the very first thing the enemy did in the Garden of Eden was try to attack the marriage. So we understand that that ring on our finger represents a covenant and represents promises that we made one to another. I like the story that is shared concerning giving. There are people at Church of the Harvest that when they get paid, they get all their money and they go outside and Mike they draw a very small circle on the ground and then they, st they stand in that circle and they throw all their money up in the air and what falls on the outside of the circle is obviously theirs and what falls in the little tiny circle that's God's then there's others in our church that when they get paid they cash their check they get all their money and they draw a great big circle on the ground and they stand in that circle and they throw all their money up in the air and what comes down and lands in that great big circle belongs to them. And what lands on the outside belongs to God. Then there are people at Church of the Harvest that just go outside, throw all their money up in the air, assuming what stays up belongs to God, what comes down belongs to them. <laughs> now, I hope that you're none of those three. I hope that, that you're one of those that, that know how to tithe and know how to give offering and now know how to support them. Pastor Ronnie, would you like to tag this morning and just, you, you, you take it for a while. You were doing a lot better than I was. This is a tough crowd this morning. I want to leave, I want to leave something with you that I believe will, will be a blessing. And if it's not a blessing, I'm just going to keep preaching until you get happy over something. After all, we do have an extra hour or something. We've got to wait for the rest of the church to get here. 1 Samuel 7, 16. Watch this. Thank you, angel. I got one trying to get a short sermon. Now, now if you'll help me over here, a couple of amens. I'll, I won't go long this morning. There you go. Watch this. Verse 15. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. Look at somebody and say, destiny. 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 As a very small child, you know the story. His mom could not get pregnant. The other wife, and don't even go there. <laughs> the other wife gave her husband several children, but Hannah could not get pregnant. Hannah went to the altar, prayed, prayed till there was no more words, and was just, just praying in silently. And the man of God came over and said, what do you want from He thought she was drunk. What do you want from God? She said, I want a son. I want God to bless. And he said, this time next year, you'll be with child. 
And sure enough, a year later, Samuel was born, and she brought him probably to the house of God when he was eight or ten and gave him to the things of God, and she wanted to birth five more children. A lot of people followed to fo failed to follow up on that, but God had just blessed her with the son that she sowed, but he blessed her with five more kids. God is faithful. So we know all the days of his life, Samuel was used by God. Heard God call his name three times. He said, speak, Lord, your servant listens. And there was a word of warning concerning Eli and his sons, which Eli did not honor, did not follow. Most of you know Humpty Dumpty was the Eli that was obese when he heard the story that his sons were dead. He fell off the wall and he died. And that's where the little nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty, set on a wall, comes from. But we see that Samuel honored God all the days of his life. And what a, what a destiny, what a ministry. He wrote two books of the Bible. And people today are still talking about the Samuel that heard the voice when he was a child. But in verse 16, I want to bring attention to a circle, a circle if I may. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went from year to year in circuit to four, four places. Bethel. Gilgal, Mizpah, Judge Israel, and all those places. And his return was to Ramah, for there was his house, and there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar unto the Lord. Four places that I like to talk about this morning, I'd like to bring attention to the word circuit. There's a song long, long ago that used to talk about the circuit riding preacher. How many have ever heard of a circuit riding preacher? We were in China Hill, Georgia, three weeks ago, Pastor Rhonda and I, and there our attention was brought to a, was it a Methodist church? It was a Methodist church, and once a month, a pastor came by there and preached. The other three weeks of the, of the month, they didn't have a pastor, but that pastor was, was going to several different Methodist churches, and only once a month did he make his way to that church. And this is, this is the concept that we get about Samuel. Samuel had a house. Everybody needs a covering. Everybody needs a place that they shove off from. Everybody needs a port. Everybody needs that, 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 that place they call home. And from home, the Bible says that Samuel went to three different places. I want to make sure you get them in order because it's important in the thought this morning. We know the word Bethel comes from the place where Jacob, with the help of his mom, deceived his dad and brother. And most of you know he got Esau's birthright. And he had to leave in the middle of the night for fear of his brother killing him. And when he journeyed a day, he spent the night at a place, made a rock his pillow. Shows you what a city slurker was. He know how to make a good pillow. Never slept outdoors in his life. And that night, while he was asleep, he awoke to see a vision of a stairway leading into heaven. Angels descending and ascending, bringing things from God to people, taking things to God for people. And, and when, when Jacob got up that morning, he named that place Bethel, which means the place of prayer, the place of prayer. Know that in your life today, there's got to be a place that you go to continuously that's called a place of prayer. And this morning, we may get a little deeper in that. Wednesday night, John Bevere did such a great teaching on prayer, how Elijah prayed and really believed that rain was going to fall from heaven. You've got to remember, this is the same guy that, that prayed and called fire down from heaven. And the same guy that thought that he could get fire from heaven is the same guy that thought he could get rain from heaven. A lot of us are so quick to believe the report of the doctor when it's negative, but not so quick to believe the report of the doctor when it's positive. I remember a few months ago, mom got cancer. And, and of course, we were all in prayer and we were all concerned. And she had several inches of her colon removed. They went through three or four major drastic chemo uh, treatments. Did not lose any of her hair, not lose any of her strength. She took it like a, like, a, like a warrior. And then several weeks later, the doctor told her, there is no cancer in your body. And for, give the Lord a hand. That's a good word. That's a good word. But for weeks, for weeks, mom was struggling with the fact that she had cancer. And then, and then one day I just, I just do, did what pastors do. I said, Mom, I said, the same doctor that told you had cancer and you believed all that is the same doctor that told you that you're now healed, that you don't need treatment, you don't need medicine, you don't need surgery, you, you are cancer free. I said, why can't you believe him? And, and I watched Mom 
is a changing. You, you watch people sometimes where knowledge, wisdom just changes them. And she began to grasp that. And then she realized that she's free of cancer. But since then, she's found three or four more other things that she has that later in life, God will help her with and restore her. And don't you dare tell her I will get in trouble and I don't want to get in trouble. So the first place, the first, the first place in this circle, everybody say circle. The first place in this circle that, that Samuel goes to is a place of prayer. Then he goes to visit a place called Gilgal. And at Gilgal, God speaks to Abram, changes his name, tells Abram to leave his family, his friends, his, his society, his culture, and everything, and go find a new place. And when God takes him from the land of his fathers to a new place, God speaks to him and says, every place you put your foot, I'm going to give you. The length and the width of this land will be yours. And Abraham got so excited, he named the place Gilgal. And may I share with you today, if you spend time in prayer at the place of Bethel, you will learn that there are promises, favor, and blessing that God has for you. Let me say that again. If you will spend time in prayer, the next place that you will go to is realize that every promise in the book is mine. Every scripture, every chapter, every line. I'm standing on his blood divine. Every promise in the scripture is mine. I'm not sure that's exactly how the song went, but that's a song we learned as children that we actually believe what the word of God had to say. There were several men later in life that got together and said, and said, what would happen if just one person believed what God's word said and did it? And then they said, why could, not, why could that not be us? And D.L. Moody was one of those four men that decided what the Bible says I'm going to do. And most of you know the Moody Press has touched the world. Almost every prison in, in, in America and several countries of the world, he's touched the world because he believed the word of God. You've got to come to a place in your life where you believe the promises that God has for you. And when you go through the word of God, I encourage you to highlight all the criminals. I encourage you to highlight all the losers. I encourage you to highlight all the failures. All the guys that committed adultery. All the ones that messed up on alcohol. All the ones that got out of order. It seemed like those are the ones that God used the most. Is that not scary? So there's a very good possibility if you've ever felt like you're a loser ever felt like you're a drug addict or you ever felt like you are probably marked for greatness and marked for honor and marked for blessing somebody praise the lord in this house one of our kids was in jail and the only time that i could see her was on a friday night from 7 30 to 9 30. already made arrangements to go to kentucky to visit pastor john and so i i just i just felt like well i guess i'm not going to get to see her and what happened a spiritual son of mine his niece died and i went to the funeral and I went to the funeral and I had to drive right by the jail in Dalton. And on the way back from the funeral, when I drove by the jail, something nudged me and said, turn in. And guys, I, I, I don't spend a lot of time in jail parking lots. That's just not a place that I go hang out. That's not a place I even like to go to, having spent the night in jail several years ago. But anyway, I actually turned in and went inside. You know the story, the great big glass, the little cut, and the people behind the desk act like they're too busy to talk to, and finally they do. Come on. And I told him who I was and told him what was going on. And I said, I, I would like to visit this, 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 this church member during the day. She said, no, it's not possible. Everybody's Friday night at 730. Well, then I just asked, is the chaplain in? And she said, well, no, he's not in, but it's not going to help you anyway. But I'll give you his phone number. So she gave me his phone number. I walked out of the jail into the parking lot. And something said, call the number. So I called the number. Told him who I was. Told him what I wanted to do. And when I got done talking, he said, I know you. He said, 25 years ago, and that was probably the revival that God healed our marriage. 25 years ago, you preached a sermon, Ashes of the Red Heifer, and I still remember that sermon. He said, would 1.30 tomorrow be okay? Did you hear me? Would 1.30 tomorrow be okay? I said, that's great. He said, call me at 10. Make sure, that, make sure your parishioner is still incarcerated and call me. So at 10 o'clock, I called him, brand new chap. His wife passed away in November, began to minister a little bit. Then I asked him, I said, I understand that you don't have a lot of Bibles in, in prison. What's the status of your, of your prison library? He said, well, it's ironic that you should ask because we don't have a prison a jail library, but we'd like to have one. And all of a sudden, a little light went off my head. I said, have you heard of Perry Stone? And he said, oh, yeah, I've heard of Perry Stone. I said, would you like some of his material? He said, we would love some of his material. 
I said, well, what, what, I can get DVDs, CDs, books. He goes, I can't have any DVDs or CDs, but we can have paperback books. I called Charlie. I said, Charlie, the door is open for us to go into another jail. Now, we've already put his material in four different prisons in Kentucky right now already. And I said, I said, Charlie, the door is open. What do you think? He said, come by the lobby. It went by, and there was an 80-pound box of books. I barely got the box to the lectures, got it in there. Then I went, I went to, uh, to, to, to visit the jail, and then I went to meet the chaplain. He has a food pantry and a closed closet, downtown Dalton, amazing ministry. And when I gave him the box of books, you'd have thought I had given him a Corvette. I mean, you'd have thought I'd have given him a... Uh, I mean, his face lit up. He got all excited. He got looking at all the books and stuff like that. He said, this is incredible. He said, we're going to call it the Perry Stone Library. <laughs> and I'm thinking, now, wait a minute. I'm the one that got the books, got the door, got the books here. Why not call it? But then I got to thinking, well, maybe I don't want a library named after me in jail. Maybe it just would not be all that good a deal. But the Lord opened the door. That's what favor is all about. And that's what your God wants to do for you. All the promises, all the doors. He said, he said, I'll open doors that no man can shut. And I'll shut doors that no man can open. I'll raise up. I'll bring down. I am God and I'll do whatever I want to do. And when you begin to realize that there are about 30 some odd thousand promises in this book he wants you to walk in, he wants you to have. I think sometimes we need to put a demand not on God, but on the word. If the word says it, then we believe it and we expect there to be some kind of follow-up because he watches over his word to perform it to those that put their faith in this word. How scary is that? The guys, uh, Monday night, I gave them all a challenge. I said, the first one of you to be able to write six or six books of the Bible in order to spell correctly, I'm going to give you a $100 bill. Okay, Christine was back on the back table and she starts writing. I said, Christine, what are you doing? She said, I'm writing the books of the Bible. See, because in third grade, her school required her, and had she not spelled Deuteronomy incorrectly, I would have had to have given her a $100 bill. But thank God she spelled Deuteronomy incorrectly, so she didn't qualify for that. But, you know, I, I looked at the guys, and the guys, shame on you. And shame on us that can't write down this six, six books. Listen, if you're going to be a child of God and speak his word, you, you, need, you need to at least know how many books there are, where they're found, and how to spell them correctly. And that didn't cost you anything. But when, but when he left the place of prayer, he immediately went to the place of provision. And those of you in verse 16, the next place he goes to. He goes to Gilgal. And at Gilgal, God promises Abraham, everything you touch, everything you walk the length and the width, I'm going to give you. Then he goes to a place called Mizpah. Mizpah is a place of restoration. It's a place of relationship. Mizpah was not a real good day in the life of Jacob and Laban. Most of you know that what you sow, you're going to reap. Remember the song, what, what goes around, comes around. Remember that, what, go, what, what you sow eventually is what you're going to reap. So Jacob sowed deceit. And he reaped deceit. He worked seven years for the, the bride of his dreams, only to get her older sister. And then he worked seven more years and got her. Seven times his uncle changed his wages. It was a very touchy, a very... And Jacob said, I'll tell you what, you take all the normal cattle. I'll take just a speckle and spotted. And you know the story. God blessed the speckle and spotted. Jacob did something to a, a piece of birch that, that farmers to this day cannot understand what he did. But it made the speckle and spotted cattle want to breed. And, they, and, and he, had a, he, he left Laban with, 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 with a fortune. But when he left Laban with a fortune, they came to a place of restoration. They were irritated at one another. They fussed with one another. Jacob's servants got in fights with Laban's servants. And Laban said, we're going to call this place Mizpah. May the Lord be with you and me while we are separate one from another. So that's the place where relationships are healed. Let me tell you something. If you spend some time in prayer and you wind up at a place of provision, you're usually going to learn God is going to restore broken relationships, broken friendships, broken things in your life. God is going to heal and God is going to restore. Now, I'm, I'm preaching better than you're writing, but that's okay because I want to go on to, to the, for, to the fourth, fourth point. He judged Israel in all those places. And his, his return was to Ramah, for there was his house, and there he judged Israel. And there he built an altar unto the Lord. Watch, watch this. Where he started from is exactly where he wound up. 
And that's, that's the story of our life. There are seasons in our life that we'll find ourselves in one particular season and then in another particular season and then we'll come to this season. But it's so neat that God always brings us back to the place of our foundation, the place of our roots, the, pra- the place of our legacy. Can anybody relate? There's a, big, uh, there's a big deal right now about going Googling and finding out where you came from. Is a big deal right now finding out where your ancestors are from. And there's a lot of people, they want to go back to Sweden where their original great-great-great-grandfather came from. There are people that they want to trace their roots and they want to trace their family tree. And most of you know, I think Pastor Ronald's family, most of them are from there too, Germany. And most of my folks are from right here. And your people came over here and wounded my people and gave us alcohol and smallpox and took everything from us. And you called us Indian givers. You gave us this. You took it away and gave us that. But I have forgiven your people for what they have done to my people because I have been to Miss Paul, the place of relationship, the place of healing, the place of favor. Well, somebody laugh whether you feel like it or not. So we see this circle. We see this circle. And the Bible tells us in Psalms 22 and 14 that God walks the circuit of heaven. Psalms 19 and 6, he goeth forth to the end of the earth and his circuit unto the end of it. Nothing is hid from the heart of God. So, so in, this, <coughs> in this circle journey that we're on, we realize that God walks the circuit of this earth. And we look at the circuit of this earth and we realize that there are times in our life when God would like us to take a chance. Yes. God would like us to put a demand on, on, his, on his favor. God would like us maybe operate in faith, believing, expecting things to happen. But let me tell you something. If you never get out of the boat, you'll never walk on the water. If you never pray for a blind person, you'll never see healing. If you never operate in a restoration of drugs and alcohol, you'll never see victory. If you don't, there's some things that you need to do. You need to get from where you're at and begin to do something you've never done to receive something you've never had to be something you've never been. And that's a promise of the Lord. It's like we come we sit soaking sour. We hear pretty much the same from this pulpit, pretty much the same teaching from, from week to week to week. It's, it's, it's restoration, it's opportunity, it's favor, it's blessing. That God can take you from where you're at and place you where he wants you to be. He can bless everything you touch. He can bless your tithe, your offering, your, your, your effort. God will bless it. But a lot of times we just take notes and say, well, that was a pretty cool, that, that, was, a, that was a pretty cool sermon. That was a pretty cool word. But God is watching over his word to perform it he's just waiting for someone to quote the word in faith believing he that cometh to god must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him hebrews 11 and 6 promises it, that without faith it's impossible to please god so in this in this in this talk about god i want to tell you a story that took place 2100 years ago that's a long time ago. There's a book called The Book of Legends. And that book journaled things that took place in the centuries when God did not speak. Most of you know between Malachi and Matthew, God didn't say a whole lot. There weren't a lot of miracles. There, were, there was no prophet. There was no, no declaration. Malachi closes with the promise that he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. And God said, if that revival does not take place, he will strike the earth with a curse. It's very important that we raise up a generation of godly dads, godly men that do what they're supposed to do and be what they're supposed to be. Because God, God, God says, if we will do that, he promises that the prodigals will come home. But the prodigals aren't going to come home if there's no dad to come home to. You got to remember when the prodigal son got tired of the pig slop, he said, I'm going home. My father treats his servants better than I'm eating. I know that I'm no longer a child because I've, I've violated my rights. Listen, you can never violate your rights when it comes to being a part of the family of God. Never. You can never do that. The prodigal son, my father, and when he got home, sure enough, father took the robe. He took the ring, there's the ring again, took the robe, took the ring, took the fatted calf and celebrated my son that was dead is alive. He who is lost is now found. God is waiting for you to come back and put a ring on your finger, a robe on your back and kill a fatted calf and celebrate. But but most of us, I I remember what the Muslims said, I wish I'd have met Christ before I met the Christian. 
Because some of us are so sad, so depressed, so forlorn, so frustrated, so negative. I saw something about the, op the, the optimist, the pessimist, and the realist. I don't know if you saw it on Facebook, but it, it was from the opportunist. The opportunist told the optimist, pessimist, and the realist, while you're determining what's in the glass, I drink the glass. <laughs> I mean, I love that. I mean, I love that, that, that old cliche, if life hands you a lemon, make lemonade. I mean, I mean there, there, there's so many promises in God's word how you can turn things around if you just focus on what you have and what you can do with it. Well, I don't have anything. That's what the widow said. I'm broke. The government's coming after my sons. I don't have anything. And Elijah said, surely you've got something you can sow. Surely there's some kind of, there's some, some, some kind of object of faith or something that God can work with. Don't ever give up on God. And in a place that she goes to the least, nobody goes under the sink. That's just a place you don't, come on. That's a place you don't go. That's, that's a place you don't visit. We visit the refrigerator, the cookie jar, the coffee can. Come on, wave your head. We're talking the same language. But how often, I mean, I don't think I've looked under my sink in five years. I'm afraid there's things growing under my sink. There's things that can hurt you under my sink. There's proof under my sink that there are varmints in the field that come in the yard when it rains in the house. So I don't, I don't look under the sink. But he said, go, what have you got? And she opened the cupboard, and there was a cruise of oil. Said, that's, that's, that's good. That's all, that's all I need to work with. Some of you don't realize that, that God just needs something to work with. And if he can't work with anything else, he'll work with a smile. He'll work with a kind word. He'll work with an opportunity to praise and worship. He can work through those who praise him for our God inhabits praise. But we are teaching like this Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And I don't know, I know sometimes it, it must get old for the praise and worship leaders to feel like cheerleaders. That they beg us to lift our hand. They beg us to clap. They beg us to sing. They, and and, and the, the challenge is, and I can say this because I've been to over 300 churches in the nation. The challenge is the majority of congregations have for so long depended upon the choir. Help me to tickle their fancy that we set and we watch God does not want spectators God wants participants that will actually get involved in the art in the in the in the joy of praise and worship so when Chris says clap your hands we clap your hands all you people shout the Lord voice of triumph because it gets the attention of God you can't brag on God and not let him show up I'm a dad dads go go through stuff where they would like once in a while for the daughter to stay home and enjoy them that ain't gonna happen not when they got friends and blockbuster and all that stuff. So I've just learned that wherever they're going, I invite myself and pick up the tab. And you know what? They enjoy me being there because I pay for the movie, I pay for the popcorn, and they actually like me. Did you ever ponder how many times that God would do stuff for you if you just act like you like him once in a while and invite him to some of your events? Well, God, we're going to go shopping. Would you like to go? God said, I will love to go. You're going to see sale you've never seen before because I'm that kind of God. 21 hundred years ago there was no clear voice they didn't believe that God could talk to them but there was a guy that believed that God could listen his name was Hanai H-O-N-I Aminimus is the name found in the book of legends the book of legends is a journal of the Talmud and the Midrash I know that means nothing to any of you in this house but between Malachi and Matthew, there were men of God. There were, there, were, there were different ones that began to journal some of the things that God did. And on 202 in this book, the book of legends, is a story of Hani. Let me tell you about the story of Hani. Hani was a guy that was known to have the ability to touch God. He was known in the ability that when there was a drought, that if you ask Hani to pray things would begin to happen. It would begin to rain. Now, I'm talking about a, a real guy that really did live. You can research it for yourself. There was a drought in the land, and the people were starving. The famine was severe. People were dying. It was a, it was a, it was a bad drought. There was no rain for many, many months. So they went to Hanai, and they asked Hanai to pray. And this is where my thought comes from. Hanai took his staff, and he went out in the sand, and he stood and he took the staff and clockwise he turned and he drew a circle in that sand. And then he looked up 
And let me read you what he said, if I may. Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you've shown mercy upon your children. Hanai had a reputation. He had a reputation that when he prayed, things happened. Church of the Harvest has that kind of reputation. We've had people call that their kid was dead, been dead eight minutes. An eight-year-old and nine-year-old drowned together. The grandma called this church. This church prayed. The eight-year-old began to breathe, and it's normal today. No brain damages. The nine-year-old went to be with the Lord. It's good to have a reputation that when you say you're going to do something, you do it. It's good to have a reputation when you declare something that God follows up and God honors it. And Hannah had this kind of reputation. And there were hundreds of people later in the story, there are thousands that have gathered to watch him pray because people immediately said, hey, there's this guy that has drawn a circle in the sand, has gotten inside the circle and said, I'm not leaving here until you show your mercy. What seemed like hours with just a few minutes, all of a sudden, a gentle breeze blew in some clouds and it began to sprinkle. And the people were amazed. The people began to open their mouth and begin to catch the water drops as they fell from the sky, but not Hani. Let me tell you what Hani did. Hani never looked up, but he bowed his head and said these words. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns and within just a within just a minute the rain they declare was the size of eggs the drops were so big the size the torrential rain came down to such a degree that everybody everybody began to run and begin to find shelter every riverbed every creek bread every cistern was full with the capacity of running over now somebody ought to get, get excited and give the lord a hand clap of praise As this rain begins to come down torrentially, he bows his head again. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of your favor, your blessing, and your graciousness. And the witnesses claimed that immediately the weather turned and a, and a gentle, still rain began to fall upon the people. What happens when you decide that you're going to paint a circle get in the middle of it and not move till there's a breakthrough when I was 8, 9, 10 years of age my grandmother was the kind of person that would cook breakfast any time of day that's what I like about Cracker Barrel any time of day you get breakfast several times I would be at my grandmother's house and a guest evangelist would come with my uncle my uncle was a part of his team and he would eat breakfast and I can remember eight, nine, ten years of age, I can remember sitting on his lap, and I can remember him telling me miracle after miracle things begin to happen. A little later in life, I actually went to one of his meetings in Miracle Valley, Arizona, and watched. I, you know, it's so funny, Gene, you see so many great, incredible things, but the thing I remember most is that he had the guts to take up an offering with a skip loader. And they, they drove the bucket down the aisles of the tent. They didn't fill the bucket, there's a lot of money in there. You could have laid in there and, had, and been cushioned all the money in there but he was an incredible phenomenal man of God his name was A.A. A. Allen A.A. A. Allen wrote a book I have it I have one of the few the few books left they're not they're not, not very they didn't print very many and they've been they've been lost to the years I have the book but in the book the opening chapter begins with the story that he told his wife and family don't bother me don't check on me don't bring me anything just leave me alone and he went into a closet and he shut the door and he said God I'm not coming out of this closet until you reveal yourself to me I'm not coming out of this closet until you reveal yourself to me I think 40 50 hours later he comes out of no water no food no light nothing just him and God and he writes this book that I've got, and it's entitled, Eight Things That God Showed Me. And in the middle, there's a chapter of some that God showed him that he couldn't speak of. It was so incredible, so phenomenal. 
What happens when we draw a circle in the sand and say, I'm not leaving the circle until I'm delivered from pride. I'm not leaving the circle until I'm delivered from pornography. I'm not leaving the circle until I'm delivered from tobacco. I'm not leaving the circle until I'm delivered from lust. I mean, I'm not leaving the circle until I hear you speak to me and give me direction and tell me which way to go. Because the word says you'll hear a voice behind you that will say, this is the path to take. This is the place to go. How many has ever been that serious about God? How many have been that, that focused on the fact that I am not leaving here until something happens, until there's a breakthrough, until a miracle takes place? You say, well, pastor, that's not scriptural. Sure it is. For 400 years, they went from guests to slaves. 430 years, a man by the name of Moses shows up and demands for God's people to be free. You know the story, 10 challenges later, 5 million people left Egypt, went into what was a 42-hour journey. They traveled for 40 years. And in that 40 years, all they did was complain, gripe, and fuss. That generation dies off with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. And now three or four million Israelites have been raised up. They're circumcised. They're ready to go into the promised land. God tells Joshua the same promise he gave Moses. Every place, every square inch you put your foot, I'm going to give you. Joshua hears from God, gets a plan. God tells him, here's what I want you to do. This city was a 12-acre city. That doesn't sound very big. But when you've been a slave all your life, any challenge is going to be horrendous. Do you see that? When you've, been, when you've been on drugs all your life, a week free is a challenge. Am I, am I talking to anybody in the building? And so these, these walls were so fortified and they were so secure that when the people of God looked at this city, even though it was only 12, this property here is 16 acres, kind of shows you how small this city really was. But to them, it was a mountain that could not be removed. Notice what God didn't tell them to do. 600,000 men. He did not tell them to build a battering ram and storm the gate. He did not tell them to, 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 to throw up ladders to, drive, to climb over the fence, over the wall. He didn't tell them cut off their water supply, cut off their food. Don't let them come in or don't let them go out. But God tells them, this is what I want you to do. For the next six days, I want you to shut up. I don't want any griping, complaining, mummering, fussing. I don't want you to do anything. But for the next six days, one time, I want you to walk around the city. And the seventh time, I want you to, and, and on the Sunday, I want you to walk around the seventh time. And this is pretty, this is pretty interesting because in the Passover, all the laws, they were not allowed to do what God called them to do, but they do it. First day they walked. They probably felt pretty stupid the first time they walked around the city. They've got all these weapons. They've got all these tools. They've got all this ingenuity. But notice, God does not want it done your way. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And if you'll follow his instruction, he will not fail. He will come through. He's God. That's what he does. Right now, whether you like it or not, right this very minute, we are traveling at 67,000 miles an hour right now. And there's nothing you can do about it. Right now, our earth spins a thousand miles an hour. There's nothing, to, not only are we going this way, 67,000 miles, but we're going like this at a thousand miles an hour. He's a God of action. He's a God of progress. He's a God that does not change, does not fail. According to the Coppler theory, the Coppler theory claims that because the light that's penetrated the galaxies are still going in the darkness of space and creating new galaxies. How many understand what Pastor just said? On the, on the fourth day, when God said, let there be light, that was not the sun. The sun wasn't created day four. Let there be light. That word from God, let there be light. Four words is still lighting up darkness and is still creating new galaxies for us to explore when we're resurrected out of here. Does that excite anybody? And if he could do that with four words, what can he do with this book right here that's full of his word? Come on, give him a hand cup. Don't patty cake. Let him know you're appreciative of his goodness. And his mercy. We know that six is the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day. We know all kinds of things about the number six. We know seven is the number of God. And I, I didn't see this until last night as I was looking at this passage of scripture. Six, Monday through Saturday, 
and then and and then seven times on Sunday is what? Six plus seven is what? That's not your question. What's six plus seven? Okay, what in the world does thirteen mean? Seven means perfection, eight means new things, nine means gifts, twelve means government, ten means mercy. What what does the number thirteen mean? The number that travel with Jesus. Hello? The number that travel with Jesus. Twelve disciples and one Jesus. Thirteen. See, the seventh time they marched around the city, they shouted out his name, and the walls, the Bible says, fell flat. Not down, not over, flat. That means an earthquake came up, there was a crack, and the wall is like something literally pushed the wall straight God said, I hold my right hand up in power. I will hold up my, my I will flex my muscles for a generation. I'm not, Isaiah 30, 32 says, God said, I will flex my biceps for a generation that will praise me, that will worship. You read it, it's there. I will flex, with my mighty hand will I defeat your enemies and I will level the mountains in your life. And Job 28, 8 says, I will pull up your mountain by its root, by its root. Nothing can grow up and hurt you and harm you when I remove your mountain by its root. He wants to deal with the roots of bitterness. He wants to deal with the roots of hurt, failure. Well, right. the, the, the roots of, of divorce, of discouragement, of, of drug abuse. He wants to do. And someone says, well, Pastor, why do you say so much about drugs? Because our nation's addicted. Yes, sir. I spent four hours Friday morning. Four hours. 30 different cases. 28 of them had to deal with meth. 28 out of 30 cases in a Friday morning in a Dalton courtroom, 38 of those cases were having to do with meth. We are in trouble. And we better know how to fix it. And there's a way to fix it. The blood of Jesus can heal, can restore, can recover, can put them back on their feet, can bless them with all the things that God has. I am living proof, 31 years clean, that God can take a nobody and turn it to somebody for his glory. Seventh time, the seventh day, the walls fall. You know the story. 600,000 men circling their Jericho. Their Jericho was their obstacle. Let me tell you something about, let me tell you something, let me tell you something about anything you do. If you ever score a touchdown, if you ever hit a home run, if you ever actually hit the ball on the green on the first attempt, after that, it's easier. See, once you can deal with the Jericho in your life, which appears to be a monster, it appears to be way too big, way too... Ten spies said the giants are too big to hit. Two of the spies said the giants are too big to miss. What mentality do you want? The glass half empty, the glass half full. I want to be the guy that drinks the glass, that walks in all the favor and the blessings of God. Do you see this? What is your Jericho? I wrote a couple of notes here. If your Jericho is cancer, then your circle is a healing. If, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if your Jericho is a prodigal son, then your circle is salvation. If your circle is a challenge with your marriage, then your circle is reconciliation. If your circle is feeding the hungry, if your challenge is your Jericho is feeding the hungry, then your circle is provision. What does that mean? I am not leaving this circle until my unsaved son comes back and worship you and praises you and gives you his life. What is a circle? I am not leaving this circle my body is healed of cancer I'm not leaving this circle until you give me provision to feed the hungry I'm not leaving this circle until you hear my marriage I'm not leaving this circle until you touch my body I am not backing off giving up backing down I will not leave this place until I see you do what you have promised to do what is your Jericho whatever your Jericho is I promise you the provisions for that Jericho is in this word does that bless anybody today Paul Youngie Cho made the statement. How many knows who Paul Youngie Cho is? Been to his church, been to his platform, saw the chair. He doesn't let anybody sit in. It's reserved for the Holy Ghost. 
And of course, you know I sat in it. That was before I was married. Van didn't have any sense. He made this statement. God does not answer vague prayers. Like prayers like, oh, God, save the world. God, let there be a Taco Bell at the next exit. Hello. God, give me a beautiful wife. I mean, then maybe that one he could, could answer it for Larry. Some of those God can answer. Elijah got down into a birthing position. The Israeli women were used to birthing children on the run. For 40 years, they birthed children in the wilderness. They, they would just kneel down and the baby would pop out. How scary is that? No epidural, no, no C-section. They just popped out. He got in that birth position seven times. He prayed for rain. On the seventh time, the servant said, there's a cloud. We don't know if it's the shape of a man's hand or the size of a man's hand. Either way, it didn't look very good. Elijah said, that's all we need. And the Bible says that famine broke because seven times he did not give up. Naaman was told to do something silly. He could have written out a check for a million dollars to the ministry. He could have built an, an unwed mother's center. He could have built a restoration center for the drug addict. He could have done anything he was asked to do. Elijah said, go, dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Now, my only experience with the Jordan River was not a pleasant one. I went to Israel with Marcus and Joni. I intended to be baptized in the Jordan River. And there's a whole bunch of sites, a whole bunch of tourists, all hundreds of people watching the baptism. And I said, when I, get, when I come out of the water, I'm going to preach, I'm going to prophesy, I'm going to speak in tongues. I'm going to have a glorious moment with the Lord. It didn't happen that way. Pastor David, the water was so cold that when I put my toes in, my, my forehead became blue. We got out, and you, and you think I'm bad. You should see it. There's a little rail, a concrete rail with a, with a chain that's about, about this high. It goes all the way up to the... Marcus was on the rail, walking on the rail so he wouldn't have to get in the water. When I got in the water and he took me under, I mean, I felt like, I felt like a hundred thousand knives stabbed me. And when I come out of that water, I had no intent to prophesy, no intention to preach. I wanted to get to shore. I wanted to towel, a clean, a clean, am I talking, get in the bus where it's hot, turn the heater on and thaw. He had to dip seven times. I don't know if it was in the spring. I don't know if it was in the winter. I don't know what the water was. But it wasn't something he wanted to do. But there was a reason why God said, be tenacious. There's a reason why God said, be consistent. There's a reason why God says, ask and it shall be given. If you want that door open, beat on that door. Don't walk away till the door is open. Wake everybody up in the house. Get them up. I'm not leaving this circle until you open that door and you provide the provision I need. I'll tell you what, if we were to go through a list like that, every one of our lives would change. If every one of us had a circle today that we drew and we had a mindset that says, I am not leaving this circle until you do something for me. When they marched around Jericho, it was stupid. It was, it, it was a stupid declaration. And they did it 13 times. But on the 13th time, God said, I want you to let out a shout. Now, we're not sure what they shouted, but I promise you, not being able to talk for seven days, they were loud. And in case the enemy didn't hear them, they said it again. And the Bible says, at the sound of their shout, the walls flattened. Jesus. Revelation. Took five pieces of bread and two fish. A little boy's lunch. Everybody can be a part of the bigger picture. Everybody can sow into a miracle. Everybody can make a difference. This little boy wanted to feed Jesus. That's all. He gave away his lunch. Big deal. Went home and had, went home and had food. But he, but he gave what he had to Jesus. Notice what Jesus did before he gave it out. Kenan, he thanked God. He knew that that little lunch was going to feed 5,000 men. Now, Jacob had 12 kids. I don't know how many kids were there. I don't know how many wives were there. But I believe I could safely say the crowd was over 10,000. And he took one little lunch. And before he gave it to the people, he thanked God for feeding the multitude. There is power in prophetic praise. I spent an hour three weeks ago on prophetic praise. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. No, David had killed one. But the handmaids begin to prophesy, and David in his lifetime killed hundreds of thousands of the enemy for the king. If, if, you, gotta, if, you, if you need a miracle in your life, see that son and daughter in the altar praising and dancing and worshiping. 
You need your marriage restored. See something happening in restoration. Begin to thank God for it and say, I'm not leaving this place. I'm not going anywhere else until you bless me here. Revelation. To me, never seen it read, never seen it heard, never. Jacob wrestled with God all night long and only asked one thing. What is your name? Because Jacob knew that he was Jehovah Jireh. He was Jehovah Nissi. He was Jehovah De He was Jehovah Shalom. Everything that God's name was, it did something. And Jacob knew if he could find out what name he was operating in, he knew he could expect a breakthrough. Help me. How many of you got to a place? God, I'm not, I'm, I got a hold of the horn. I'm not leaving this place until you change something in my life. When's the last time you did that? A thousand years later. Remember Cho? God doesn't honor vague prayers. Be specific. I want a five foot three. I want a brown hair, blue eyes. I want her 110 pounds. I want her godly. And I want her home. Prayed that prayer for three years, divorced. Never prayed a different prayer. Didn't want a blonde. Didn't want a redhead. Didn't want Susie's color. I want a Pastor Rhonda. I didn't pray for anything. I didn't, I didn't pray for another. Someone as good as her, better than her. It, no, wanted her. I drew a circle. I'm not going to marry. She's coming back. Three, and they were long years. They weren't short years. They were long years. They were, they were miserable years. They were years where I saw God use me to heal. I would, I would go preach for pastors that were sleeping in separate bedrooms. And God would use me to heal that marriage. People would come up to me and say, my wife, I, she ran off and loved, and, and I would pray. And the wife would come and that revival, get saved, and they'd be restored. And I had an attitude. I mean, God, I don't want to say they're white trash. I don't want, but, but, but they, you know, why would you do it for them and not do it for me? I think a lot of us abort the baby right before the birth pains begin. I think a lot of us let go of that cause, let go of that goal, let go of that vision right before, right before the vision is about to be restored, about to be, about to be blessed. I know I have your attention because you're looking at me. You're not Facebooking. How cool is that? 22 years ago, a thousand years after the walls of Jericho fall flat, Jesus is in Jericho. They're two blind guys. He knew they were blind by the way they called out and by the staff they had in their hand. They came to him. Now, I mean, go there with me, if you will. Two blind guys standing in front of Jesus. They're asking for mercy. And Jesus says, what is it that you would like me to do for y'all? Look at someone and say, duh, Jesus they're blind. Do I have time for one preacher story? Detroit, Michigan, Riverview Church of God at that time, the strongest church of God in Michigan. James Cossey is a pastor. God's rocking. Church is rocking. Revival is rocking. In those days, I prayed for everybody in a prayer line, and I never quit praying. Either you got tired, went and sat down, or God healed you. That was just my mindset. That was the direction I went in. So we were praying. God's moving. God's they're coming, and when they come, they get healed. I let them testify. This woman came up, and I thought they told me she was deaf. I laid hands on her. I felt God touch her, and I said, say baby. She goes, baby. Whoa. Say Jesus. Jesus. Say, I mean, I mean, I mean Annabelle, I start crying. I start crying. The pastors got my, Hank, Hank, she's blind. She's blind. Well, the anointing, Chris. He knew they were blind. He knows what you have need of. He knows what you need in your... He knows what you're going through. He knows the breakthrough. He knows the date. He doesn't work in the chronos. He works in the Kairos. When he shows up. For Lazarus, is four days, but it was just on time. He shows up when he shows up, but he wants you, he wants to hear you say, 
give us this day our daily bread. He wants you to ask him for stuff that he's got, you for, got for you, but he wants you to get not just the faith to ask and get it, but to have the faith, hello, if I, if I give you fish, I feed you a day. If I teach you, teach you to fish, I teach you generation. But if I teach you correctly with the importance of this is for you and your children and your children's children, if I teach you correctly, then I teach generations. I feed generations with one lesson. And that's what he wants you to learn, that when you ask him for things, he will do it. So you'll turn right around your neighbor and say, you need to be verbal. You need to declare it. You need to write the vision down. You need to make a statement. You need to put it on your bumper sticker. Put it on, your, on the dash of your car. Get it on the mirror. Get it out there. Begin to repeat it. Begin to declare it. And see if he won't bring it to pass. 22 years ago, most of you know, in an eight-week revival, we had 500 decisions for the Lord. Wednesday after that eight weeks, Karen Wheat was with me that last Sunday night. Prophetic word. We sent a letter to all those 500 first-time salvations, no one that went to the church, first-time salvations, and invited them to the Holiday Inn. Wednesday night, we had 120. Our first service had exactly 120. The past 22 years has been a very interesting, it's been an interesting journey. After the church was about, our office was in our house. We brought this in. This is all traders. Most of you know our youth pastor. The kitchen was his office. I was in counseling, a little nursery right back over here. We, we blew the building out before we even got the building here. But I remember in that season, I felt like God told me to walk around the city. Remember? So I got out, got some good shoes on. I got out, and I, plod, I plotted a course. It took me about seven hours. About seven, Two or three people came looking for me. Two of them came looking for me. I didn't get in the car. People pulled over. You want a ride? You want a meal? You know what? No, I'm, I'm walking. Leave me alone. So I walked around, at that time, the entire city. I cannot tell you today what I asked God for. I cannot tell you today what I, what I prayed about. All I can remember was most of our roads are dangerous, and I'm probably going to get run over by a truck. You know, I mean, I mean, you think about our, in California, we had sidewalks and curbs and gutters, but here, you know, you're just, you're just out there. But you know, in the past two, 22 years, we have fed thousands of people through our food pantry. We've clothed thousands of people through our closet. We've, we've seen hundreds restored from drugs. We have appeared on the cover of Charisma magazine. Pastor Ron was on Daystar Thursday, TBN. By the way, many of you may not know this, but when Daystar built a $300 million hospital in Jerusalem, the state of Israel told them they could build their television station and, and, and 24-7. The very first sermon that Daystar presented to Israel on the 24-7, the very first sermon, was the Scarlet Cord preached by Pastor Rhonda. The first charismatic Pentecostal sermon on Daystar that Israel heard was your pastor. Friday, she was in 150 countries, 500 million viewers. We had no clue. Our story would be told in the third chapter of Joni's book, Surrender All. We have 48 spiritual sons and daughters in full-time ministry. We have ministered in Trinidad, Bahamas, Haiti, Puerto Rico, Australia, Israel, Jordan, Egypt, London, Paris, Frankfurt, Hong Kong, Korea, Macau, China, 300 different churches, 11 denominations, 41 states, 17 countries. That was just one lap. I feel better today than I've ever felt. I feel stronger today than I've ever felt. I felt more anointed today than I've ever felt. If God did all of that in the past 22, what's he going to do in the next 22? I need someone to give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I will finish with this. Ezekiel catches a vision of heaven. And in a whirlwind, which we know that Enoch and Elijah was probably translated to heaven in a whirlwind in that circle. Out of that whirlwind came creatures that had four faces. They had the face of a man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. And all four of those are a type and a shadow of Christ. He came to earth as a son of man. He's in heaven right now as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He was a sacrificial ox, and he is the eagle of eagles. 
this four-faced creature, four creatures in this, they're in this wheel that's in a wheel. And it moves where the Spirit leads. Now think about that for a minute. It's a wheel within a wheel. It's in the presence of God. And wherever the Spirit moves, the Spirit leads, that's the direction it moves. But every one of these creatures have a ring of eyes completely circling the... I don't know why Steven Spielberg has never tried to produce this. One of the greatest creatures, a color of burnished brass, it moves at the speed of lightning. And the Bible says that God sends these ministering spirits to earth to watch over his word to make sure to perform it. Now we, we see UFOs and we, we document this and we document that. And I don't know if we've ever documented one of these things that's visited earth. Let me tell you something. Where the spirit of God goes, it goes. That there's a wheel within the middle of the wheel watching over you to perform the word that God has spoken with a ring of eyes to make sure that every promise is fulfilled. The song says his eye is on the sparrow and I know he's watching you. Well, let me conclude. If the spirit is leading and God is knocking and God is moving, then, then what, is, what is God saying? Victoria, where is God leading you? What is he saying to you? And what are you doing about it? You're young enough at this particular time of life, you've got some goals. Hopefully, not to marry a loser. It's like a goal. Finish college. Have several beautiful children. Travel the world. Be a light and dark place. Good, good goals. What's your goals? Let me tell you what happened to me, Laura. Somewhere around the age of 50, the right side of my brain is all about imagination. Neurophysiology. The left side of my brain is all about memory. The first 50 years of my life, I operated in the imagination. I can jump out of that plane. I can surf that ocean. I can preach that. I can, I can do this. I can do... I begin to see things that I've never done and say, I can do all that. But when you turn 50, there's a shift. And your brain starts kicking in on the left side, which is all memory. And you start operating how it used to be or what it used to be. And a lot of us have no goals. We have nothing in front of us because we pretty much have lived our life and there it is. But I'm here to tell you, Caleb said, I'm 80. I feel better today than I did 40 years ago. And 40 years ago, I imagined a mountain view house on top of the mountain. Give me my mountain. So Gene, we can turn those visions and dreams around and stop dreaming how it used to be and start having a vision of this is what I'm going to do for God before the return of the Lord. This is what I'm going to do for God before they lay me in a grave. This is what I'm going to do for God before I get to a place where I can't do anything. And so I just, for the fun of it, just wrote down some things that I'd like to see happen. I would like to celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. I would like to dedicate my great-grandchildren to the Lord and prepare them for ministry. I would like to celebrate one of my anniversaries in Hawaii. I would like to leave my girls a legacy they will be proud of. I would like to pay for my grandchildren's college fees. I would like to write a bestseller nonfiction book on the Eagle. I'd like to have a 120-bed facility for those that are bound by drugs and alcohol. I would like to raise up a school of ministry that would disciple hundreds of ministers effectively to learn how to be what God wants them to be. I'd like to support 10 churches somewhere in different parts of the world and bless them. And I'd like to leave this earth in the rapture with Courtney in one hand, Christine in the other, and Pastor Rhonda at my side. I don't want to die. I want to go in the rapture. Those are my goals. Aren't those great goals? Thank you, Pastor Rhonda. Yeah. That may happen sooner than you think. Okay, I will... I will conclude. This is my only conclusion. And I might not conclude if I don't find page five. Let me do this from memory. 
1860, there was a name by Rodney Gypsy King. Born a gypsy, yet he entertained two presidents. Traveled the, the nation 45 times back and forth. Preached to millions of people. Thousands of decisions for the Lord. 1860, one man lived his whole life. One day, several wannabe evangelists and wannabe preachers and wannabe revivalists met with him and asked him, how can we guarantee success in our ministry as you have seen success in your ministry? And Ken, and this is what he said. He said, I would get a piece of chalk and I'd go to my prayer closet and I'd draw a circle with that chalk. And he said, I would get in that center of chalk and I would say, I'm not leaving this circle until revival comes to this chalk. Can one man make a difference? Absolutely. Can one man affect the world? Absolutely. Can one man's life, can one woman's life be a picture that people could see and say, I want that. Right now we pursue the Steve Tylers, the J. Lowe's, and the Randy, the Randys of that the world has made heroes. But I believe there's heroes in this building right now. Not necessarily American idols, but I believe there's heroes in this building that will have the ability to say, I know where you've been. I know what you've done. I bought the t-shirt. But I'm here to tell you, you don't have to be hooked the rest of your life. You don't have to be in poverty the rest of your life. You don't have to be divorced the rest of your life. You don't have to be sick the rest of your life. Because there is a river the streams are up shall make glad the city of God and God shall dwell in the midst of it and he shall dry the tears from their eyes and they will study war no more. That's a place that God has promised us. Anybody like to draw that circle, just wave your hand at me all this house. Just wave your hand. There's a place that I need to go. There's a declaration I need to make. There are things that I need to see happen. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed.